HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities and organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, Contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. All right, um, kind of a yearly thing that we've been doing here. Um, today, I have on Jared Frazier, the Executive Director of 2% for Conservation. And we did this uh, last year around this time uh, where Jared came on and we kind of talked about uh, what 2022 looked like um, you know, for 2% for Conservation in terms of changes and and growth and some things that they're really focused on. Um, so we get to kind of hash out that, um, some changes that are coming for 2023, some, you know, certainly very positive, good changes, um, changes that come with, you know, with a growing organization. Uh, 2% is going to turn seven years old in June this year. Uh, and the amount of work that they have done and their business members have done uh, over the course of that time is is truly remarkable. So we get to talk about that and then kind of round things out with a, a little bit of a, a call to arms, action call uh, about something uh, that's going on uh, over in South Africa uh, with the pangolins. Uh, super um, sad and tragic uh, events that are unfolding over there. Uh, but Jared does a very good job of kind of outlining, outlining excuse me, what um, you know we can do to help support the causes over there and, and help from keeping um, an animal potentially um, go extinct. So 
uh, yeah, great way to kick off 2023. I hope everyone was safe. Uh, I got to maybe spend some time outdoors or just spend some time with family, just uh, unplug, unwind, all that good stuff, and that you're ready to hit the ground running in 2023 here. So uh, episode 135 with Jerry Frazier. Uh, enjoy, everyone. Uh, I'm going to take a minute to tell you about my friends over at Go Hunt. Uh, for most of us, our season has wrapped up at this point. Um and we're already starting to plan for fall of this year. Uh, and there's no better tool out there to help you get prepared than the Go Hunt Insider membership. It's going to help you with draw odds. Um, I mean, they've got their mapping system that's tied into the Insider subscription. Just a, a ton of current and historical data that are going to help make or help you make the best decision for you on your hunt where you can allocate your points towards, uh, anything like that. And it's going to be all these Western states. Uh, it's just uh, a great place to really do all that you need to do in terms of um, online preparation or, you know, the, the preparation before the hunt, uh, short of getting boots on the ground. Um, and not only that, you know, become an insider, you're going to get uh, a chance to sign up or you're going to get entered into some opportunities to uh, win some great prizes throughout the year too. So be sure and check them out at GoHunt.com. All right, Jared Frazier, welcome back to the podcast, sir. How are you today? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, no, I we uh, we just spent the last half hour just kind of catching up, which felt long overdue. Um, it's been a, a very busy year for you, for me, um, for all of us. Um, so it was nice to, to catch up, but it's been, gosh, I think we just determined it's been a year since we we've had you on to kind of talk about you know where two percent's at you know what 2022 looked like for you guys i know uh you implemented some changes at the beginning of last year and throughout the course of 2022 but wanted to get you back on and talk about you know what what 2023 looks like you know what you know business members or people um who are you know looking to get involved with two percent you know what they can kind of expect for uh for this coming year yeah. Uh, yeah. 2022 is, you know, kind of a restabilizing year, um, you know, getting the programs that we already have kind of nailed down on, on what they're going to look like moving forward. But also it was uh, like we were talking before the call on, on the staffing side was a real challenge. Um, we intentionally and most folks know this by now, but we intentionally run an absolutely ludicrously restricted budget. And when I tell, you know, other conservation partners and stuff, um, I've, I've, I've tried to like lead in the conversation with telling them what, what we do budget wise, instead of letting them tell me first, because it, it's kind of a jerk move <laughs> because <laughs> they'll be like, yeah, we, you know, this year we brought in 12 million and, you know, we, we turned that into 14 million on the ground and I'll be like, okay, that's pretty cool. And they're, what did you do? Well, this year we had a budget of just around a hundred thousand and our members turned that into 8.1 million put onto the ground <laughs> and they're like, Oh, Oh, that was kind of a dick move, Jared. Um, <laughs> I, so we're really proud of it. Right. But the reality of that is, is stress, you know, to some degree, because the one thing you don't want to be when you need to scale is, is cash strapped. And that's, that's kind of what we are, but we, we knew we were doing that. It was intentional. It's something that will continue to be intentional. And I'm, I'm really happy with what has, you know, come from it. Um, our conservation partners, which now our members give to 
almost 1,800 causes and their chapters around the world, not a single one of them is going, well, what's 2% doing with all that money? Like, that is not a question. They're like, how the hell is 2% doing that with no money? Right. And that's, that's what I would, that's what I prefer. So it also attracts really unique partners and talent. Um, this last year, one of the really cool partnerships, well, there's two, of, two, two really cool partnerships that, that started up with other conservation groups. Uh, one is the Homegrown National Park Project. Yes. And this is something that just, it just fits 2% really well. I think you've had them on um, just recently. Yep. Um, yep. Back in October. Yeah. With, you know, if, if, if you have like a patio in an apartment complex, you can put some native plants on that patio to attract pollinators and, you know, help rebuild our biodiversity bank um, worldwide. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter your budget. Like, to, to go and get those plants, you can go. Uh, I'm, I'm not advocating for breaking the law by any means, um, but you can do some bootlegged, you know, botany and go get some, you know, <laughs> native seeds and plant them, and voila! Now you're taking care of local pollinators, local birds, and stuff. Um, that's something my family has been doing for a while now, and we just had this epic cold snap here. Uh, in, I mean, the whole country did, right? Right. Um, for us, it got down to 41 below. Uh, like uh, it was, it was 40 below at my house, but 41 over over uh, at, at my wife's work, just across town. And it was so cold that you know I went and dropped her off at work, and then brought the vehicle home to have it in the garage because there's nowhere for her to plug it in, you know, to keep the battery warm. And like it's, it was cold enough that you either plug it in or you bring the battery inside with you. Wow. Like it was that cold because uh, it stayed 40 below or close to all day. And it was that afternoon we had some deer. I mean, we live in town. We had deer come into our yard and they were feeding on all the native plants that we had in our yard. Like we have all these native currants and, and, and uh, gooseberries and other types of shrubs and stuff, buffalo berries and stuff. And when they were starving and just looking for easy food when it's obscenely cold, you know, it's, it's, it's kill them cold out. Right. Um, our yard, our yard was a sanctuary for them. Um, and we live on the edge of town. Like you, you'd think they'd be out in the bush. No, our yard was the best place for them to get some easy calories and the birds were, you know, everywhere and stuff, even though it was 40 below out. Um, so having our members be able to do that and do it wherever you live, I think is just an ideal partnership, uh, moving forward. And they're doing some big things. Uh, they're moving into Canada that they just, you know, made Canada available, uh, for folks to put their their properties on the map. And it's a super tangible way for the average individual or business to do something. Uh, we've got business members who have started replacing the plants around their businesses with native plants so that their landscaping, yeah, it's gorgeous, but it's also, you know, native and good for the good for the ecosystem. Because we have like here in here in Montana, if you drive through you're going to see all these silvery leaved trees everywhere and stuff. You're going to see these different grasses. And it's like, wow, why are none of those grasses eaten? Or why are the deer all by those silvery trees? But they don't look quite right. Uh, those silvery trees are Russian olives that were brought here for landscaping purposes as windbreaks because they grow fast. Thing is, they turn deer's guts into just these knotted. I, I shot uh, four does one year. Not in one day, because you know Montana law. You got to wait 24 hours, and you can do it again, um, unless you have multiple tags. But 
it's rare. Anyway, um, shot four does out of this ranch this one year, and they had all been eaten Russian olives. Two of the does were nearly inedible oh. um, because the you could taste the stress. Uh, if you've ever eaten a stressed pig, tasted like that, um, and they died instantly. Like this, was, it was a clean hunt, um, but their guts were full of Russian olives because it was the only food source around because a cold snap had hit and a bunch of snow. And that's what our deer are eating. So, it was, so you know, people plant stuff and they don't think about it. Simple things like planting native um, and then putting your property on the map to, to, you know, inspire others to do it too. Just fantastic. So that's a partnership super stoked about. We have a bunch of business members getting involved in it, bunch of individual members getting involved in it and we love to see it and it's attainable and it fits our standard, you know, 1% of time, 1% of income going to fish and wildlife. It's an easy go. Another one that I'm, I'm pretty excited about is something that's, that's moving into 2023 as well, but we've started partnering with the nonprofit wings of fish and wildlife agencies in various states. And we're at the early stages. And when we get into talking about 2023 some more, I'll go into some more detail. But essentially what these groups are is different states, not all of them, um, and, and not all provinces, uh, certainly not all territories or provinces, um, have basically like a, a nonprofit end of things that is their direct affiliation and usually their sole affiliation in the nonprofit space for fundraising. So here in the States, um, your local fish and wildlife agency can't just take like typically cannot take a cash donation for a specific project. And what that means is if their legislature says, Hey, we're going to cut your funding. Uh, that's just what's happening. And I mean, have you ever heard folks complain about the DNR in Michigan? Yeah, for sure. Ever like, yeah. like once or twice, maybe yeah. probably. Yeah. But no we, more than that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> probably not, you know, even today, you know? Yeah. Um, same with, uh, fish, wildlife and parks here in Montana. Like if you want to get, you know, real education on what needs to happen to wildlife, just go to your local bar and someone will tell you. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but the reality is they are wildly underfunded. Um, for example, I live in region three, Montana is broken up into seven regions and every state, how they break up, many break up by County. Um, many break up by region, especially in the West where going by County just doesn't make sense. Um, I live in region three, which for folks listening who don't know what that is, make like a, a two hour drive buffer around Yellowstone. Um, going in every direction, you know, basically to the east of Yellowstone uh, from up on its north northeastern border because there's a little sliver, you know, in Montana. And then a uh, two-hour drive buffer all the way around to the, the western side. Um, and that's essentially kind of what Region 3 looks like. It's not exact. Someone, someone out in Dillon's going to be like, shut up! Um, <laughs> but that's Region 3. And, and it's the region most associated with like a river runs through it, you know, that, that fly fishing, right. Yep. Um, you know, because a lot of it was filmed here it was supposed to happen in Missoula, but most of it was filmed in Bozeman. People found that out and they, you know, moved here. Uh, I wish they'd do that with the show Yellowstone cause that's supposed to be happening here, but they film in Texas and Utah move there. Um, <laughs> <Right>. but, uh, <laughs> 
uh, it, it, it is the region that that show, you know, supposedly takes place in. It's the region closest to Yellowstone National Park. So highest grizz and wolf density in the state. Right. So thinking about that, how many grizzly specialists do you think work for the region three office that 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 run region three? How many like just off the top of your head do you think we'd have um, working on grizzlies, given we have the highest density of grizzlies uh, in, in the state? I would say you should probably or there's probably anywhere from five to ten. We have one. Oh, okay. We have one. Yeah. That doesn't seem like and a lot. Nope. Nope. That ain't even close to what you would need to, to run, you know, even like we would basically need like one per valley is, is kind of, you know, what anyone who cares at all about uh, grizzlies being managed properly, they'd be like, yeah, one per valley, one for the, you know, the, the, the Paradise Valley, one for the Gallatin Valley, one for that would make sense. And then they could have their assistants and, t- and technicians and stuff. But we have one for the entire area. And and we're talking like I said, make, you know, it's two hours, you know, along the entire border. If you wanted to drive from one side to the other, from truly one side, like deep in the backcountry to one other side deep in the backcountry, you're not doing that in a day. Not likely um, because you're driving down two track. You're driving up in the mountains. You know, you're driving where the grizz are, where they're interacting with ranches and stuff like that. And livestock on leased land on, on federal land and stuff and on top of that shortage of staff there's also the issue of uh when they when they get a problem bear okay so a problem bear is like hey keep showing up in the yard that's that's like the baseline requirement for problem bear is keep showing up somewhere it's not you know big air quotes supposed to be showing up and we have such a high population density of grizzlies right now uh, some papers are suggesting that we have more grizz than prior to European, um, you know, involvement, uh, colonizing or, you know, settlement here in the West. Even before that, we have more grizz than we're around before that is what several papers are now suggesting. So yeah, they're going to end up in the places there again, air quotes, not supposed to be. So when that happens, you're supposed to trap them. And you've probably seen, you know, from the old wild America with Marty Stauffer, you know, they, it's a trailer. It's like a big drum has a drop gate on it. When the, when the bear goes in after the bait, the, you know, drops down on them. They cannot afford ones that send a cell signal to notify you that there's something in the trap. So they have to check the trap every single day. This last August, I was at a fundraiser for the Montana Outdoor Heritage Foundation, which is the nonprofit wing of FWP, trying to do this fundraising, trying to get some money for these programs. And they brought in, it was at a local business, they brought in, it was like being in a room full of Beth Duttons from the show (laughs) Yellowstone. It was just, they just hit all transplant except they, they, they make it look like Beth grew up in Montana. No woman is that mean that grew up in Montana. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean like, like, like cruel. Um, I'm sure there's some, but good Lord. Uh, it was a room full of, you know, the big hats and lovely people, I'm sure. But they had a lot more money than they knew what to do with. It was the right kind of fundraiser to put this problem in front of. And 
they asked the the tech to start sharing the specialists start sharing he's like well right now i have three traps out and so we he's like i have some students from msu who are able to come and help from montana state university who are able to come help and that's why i was able to be here tonight but otherwise i'm having to drive out and check these traps in person again does this sound like how we should be managing grizz in 2023 no not no. at all and especially i mean the highest density like you think about where people are fighting over grizzlies and we've got one dude with a truck and then from time to time he gets technicians if he's lucky and maybe a couple couple students if he's super lucky so that is one example from one region from one state with one agency and i can tell you the problem is global it is not that this underfunding and i mean just absolute gashing of and slashing of fish and wildlife management budgets especially by those who really have an interest to privatize wildlife management um, so that it's, you know, it's like old Europe was and where parts of Europe still are, where it depends on who's, who your daddy was and how deep your pocketbook is if you're going to get to hunt at all. Um, that is coming for our wildlife in a big, big way. So these nonprofit wings are a way for the agencies to survive and to get their work done. So we have started connecting with like in Montana and a few other states. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too early. Um, but finding this, anytime you can find a leaking, you know, the big hole in the boat and, and you can show up to start patching it. I feel like we're doing our job. And this year we found some big old holes in the boat and the, the, you know, the nonprofit wings with the fish and wildlife agencies, that's going to be a big thing for us moving forward because it's where we can do a lot of good really fast. Um, because any money that goes to that goes straight to the project, the overhead, like their employees, I, they, they are my people. They are paid garbage. They are paid on passion and they know it. They love it. And they would rather have the money go to their project than, you know, some other thing. Um, you know, a second home in Cabo or something like that. They they are much, much more concerned about getting the actual work done. And they're making great partners for our people. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tremendous to hear. Uh, I mean, the first part of, of one of the partnerships that you had talked about with Homegrown National Park, um, that was an episode that I absolutely enjoyed. I mean, that felt, like I mentioned, in October during like org month uh, that we do mm-hmm. on the podcast here. And Doug Tallamy, who's he he's he's just this the brain wealth. on that man. Oh my god! Like that, Holy I, cow. I can't even put into words the the wealth and amount of knowledge that 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 gentleman has. Because I was, I remember talking to him and and almost telling him like maybe before we even started recording, I said, "Hey, like I'm probably going to ask you some questions that you're going to kind of scratch your head and think like, does this guy?" have any clue about anything right just because his his depth of knowledge on so many different things is Mm. it's incredible but if if you for for those listening if you haven't checked out that episode it's one that i highly recommend you go back and listen to because like you talked about the the ease and the accessibility of being able to convert part of your your home your landscape 
to, um, you know, quote unquote, you know, your own national park is super easy. It's very attainable. And the amount of good that comes out of that and the for the amount of good that comes out of it for the amount of work uh, that really goes into it, uh, the payoff is is huge. And, you know, it's it's almost like this 50 to one long shot or something like that, that you put five bucks on. You're like, ah, it's five bucks, right? Like if it hits great, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But you're, you're guaranteed to see the to get the payout on something like this yeah. because yeah. it's uh, in the amount, like you mentioned, the amount of people who have signed up for participate in it is is staggering. If you look at the map that they have, I mean, it's just it's everywhere. I mean, there's. If you pull up their map on their website and, you know, just search area, just search where you live in your area, you're, it's a better chance than not that you can find a home in, you know, relatively close proximity that has signed up and taken, taken advantage of this and, you know, converted part of their, their yard to, you know, natural, you know, plants and things like that, which is, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, was speaking to uh, Grant over there the other day and uh, he runs their social media and, and a bunch of other communication stuff for them. And, um, they're aiming for a million new properties added to the map this year. That's their 2023 goal, wow. a million more. Wow. And, and if you were to hear that, like from any other organization that's, you know, under 10 years old, you know, you'd, you'd be like, mm. Good luck. Yeah, whatever, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. Because you hear about like these membership drives from different organizations. We want to hit fifty thousand members this year. How many do you have? Twenty-one thousand. Mm, okay. Let's scale that you back know, a but little. You look, you look at their map though, and you look at how many are already on there. They are well within like the margin of error of where they're probably going to end up. Like when they did, they're like, "We're going to add a million properties this year." I'm pretty sure he set that up so he could do a stitch TikTok at the end of the year of like, and we did, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> like a guaranteed bet. Um, and, and what I love, I, I love for our business members, this is one of those cool opportunities where they can actually improve, you know, the, where they work, you know, because um, here in like the Bozeman area, we've got about 30 business members here. And if you've driven through the area, you've seen most of the businesses are built to look like pole barns, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like they're, they're all aluminum and, you know, cause we get a lot of hail and high wind, right? Um, you, you want shingles on your roof? Cool. You want a new roof? Probably soon. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and cause the hail doesn't just come down from the top, comes down from the sides too. And so they're all built like that. And so beautification of your property is a big thing. And our native, you know, species have just taken a shellacking in the last 10 years with all the development here. Um, our, our, I've mentioned this before on the prong, on the podcast, but our pronghorn herd in, in the year 2000 was over 350. Now there's less, the numbers I just saw are less than 30 in the entire valley, which is that's bad. You know, like I, I'm, I'm wildlife conscious. So I'm going to move to Montana where I can be around wildlife. Well, and they're gone. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what's been going on. So to have for our business members ways for them to, all right, well, you're here, right? This is where you're doing business. You're doing business here because if you're going to do this business, it's probably good to be here. Um, but you can save a bunch of species while you're at it. And a bunch of them were doing planting this last fall, probably around the time you record that podcast, you know, right before the 
first big freezes. Um, and I'm excited to see this summer, you know, driving around where last year they had a bunch of, you know, it was pretty, but nothing was on it. No bugs, no birds, no nothing. Now there's going to be birds like crazy. And there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some temptations for some of those boys when the, when the grouse start coming into the, (laughs) into the trees (laughs) in the backyard and the, the bucks start wandering through, you know, in, in September. (laughs) Yeah. Those neighborhood Um, bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Neighborhood bucks, man. (laughs) Well, and it also makes me think about, um, Another one of the guests I had last year, uh, Palustrous Design Studios, who, yeah, uh, he, you know, he puts a big emphasis on using native plants and grasses and things like that in That's a his lot of his. M-O. It is, and yeah. I mean, you know, the wheels start turning. You, you know, you think about how, you know, he could, you know, partner with someone like Homegrown, and you know, in the process of doing all these, you know, new, you know, landscaping designs for you know businesses and for you know single family homes and things like this, and how you know, they can kind of knock out two birds with one stone. If you're, if you're a homeowner or a business owner or something like that, you get, you know, this nice new landscape, but then you also are, you know, preserving or, you know, helping, you know, local or helping, you know, just the pollinators, the birds and things like that, the population in their area, uh, you know, either come back or continue to thrive or whatever the case is. And, you know, it's all, it's, it's just a byproduct, right. Of, of, yeah of the work that, that he's doing there. So yeah, it's, uh, it's super cool to see that was, um, while it may not have been like the sexiest of topics to talk about, it was, for me, it was one that was, it was certainly eye opening, um, to, oh, to hear when about you the look effects. at it at scale. Mm-hmm. It's when you look at the scale of it, like it's, it's dramatic, you know, when you are adding hundreds of thousands of acres of habitat yep. annually, that's a big deal. Um, back to the Palustrious, you know, and them partnering. That's our whole purpose. Um, you look at our mission statement. It's to have this alliance of businesses and individuals, you know, supporting fish and wildlife with their time and dollars. It's It goes back to our loop, you know, that we have on our website of, you know, you engage the businesses that support conservation. Those businesses support conservation, providing more opportunity to engage with wildlife. And, and, and it just cycles, right? And we're now at the stage of an organization where we've been around long enough. Um, we're going into year seven. This will be year seven. Uh, in June, we'll turn seven years old. Um, we're able to start seeing the reality on the landscape of, of our members work and, and of us, you know, holding them to it um, through the pandemic, through I mean, we're in a recession right now, and uh, I'll tell you, Given has not died. You know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not getting emotional. I just drank my <laughs> coffee too fast. Um, <laughs> but the uh, not that there's anything wrong with getting emotional, guys. You need to get in touch with your feelings That's and right. probably go to therapy. But anyway, um, looking at what our members are accomplishing, have accomplished, and what they're continuing to accomplish despite what goes on in the world around them. That's the power of the 2% standard. Um, yeah, giving dropped in the worst parts of what we've been through in the last six years. Um, and there have been some bad parts of the last six years. 2018 was, was no joke for those in the, in the hunting world in particular. Like that was a very rough year for a lot of folks. But because it's a percentage of giving and it's not a flat amount, 
they were able to keep their agreements, their partnerships, many of them pivoted partnerships. But again, that was just to become more efficient. So for 2023, are you ready to move there? Or do you yeah, wanna... yeah. No, that was, <laughs> please. Uh, 2023, our main focus is moving towards the efficiency of giving in a, in a bigger way. So we have, we were talking about this before we started recording, but there's some of our business members that, you know, when they signed on with us, they had like six employees and a couple products that they offered. Right. Um, I'll, I'll use one as, as an example, um, stone glacier when, uh, they joined 2% when, when Jeff Spazito went over to stone glacier, became their CEO. I think they had five backpacks and that was it. Like accessories. Uh, -uh. Uh, I mean, they might have had a few. Um, I don't. I don't want Kurt to like listen to this and go. I was making stuff. Uh, Kurt, you were making incredible stuff. Um, but but as far as like the public knew, we knew about five backpacks, right? Right. They now have. I mean, they're in the hundreds of SKUs now. Oh yeah. Um, that, and, that they offer and right? so branching out into you know. Uh, Tents, sleeping bags, apparel, apparel, the um, outerwear, all, base layers. Yeah. yeah, they're they're a one stop shop for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's, you know, what has, <laughs> has transpired in the amount of time 2% has existed. Okay. So Jeff left, uh, you know, he was, he was over at Sitka, went over, over there for those listening, like this is normal <laughs> in the Bozeman area in particular. If you, if, if you work in the outdoor industry and you haven't worked at three or four shops in Bozeman, you just haven't been here long enough. Eventually, yeah. you'll give it to go and work for the competition. Then you'll go work for another, and it, it just it goes on and on and on. Um, it's it's and everyone still watches each other's kids, and like you're still friends with the people you used to work with. Like that's how folks here operate. That's one of the things I really love about this area. But, um, you know, they went from they they were a member of ours, had five products when they joined. So the amount that they were giving, dramatically different from what they're giving now. Right. right. As oh, far yeah. as actual dollars out the door and product out the door. And not only that, but number of requests that a business like theirs gets. Um, I, I was talking to head of customer care over at Sitka, and they were saying that cer during certain times of the year, they will get over 300 donation requests per day. Wow. That's incredible. For, do for dollars or product. Um, and for just reference, their grant program gave out over a million dollars both last year and the year before. In, not not together, like over two million over the last two years. Um, and that's just their grant program. That's that's before we get into the accounting for their, you know, how much product they give. If you've been to a banquet or something like that, so our members are giving obscene amounts now compared to what they were giving just six years ago. Try to find that in any other giving space. Like you don't see it in, I mean, if there's a disaster in an area, like with Hurricane Ian and stuff and some of the other natural disasters like fires, yeah, you'll see like local contractors stepping up and their giving is going to be way up over the top because they're saving their community, right? Right, right. Um, we are seeing our members give down at a rate working for Habitat that is unprecedented. Uh, at, at the scale that it's happening right now. Um, would these folks have given without the certification? Probably, yes. Will, were they giving as efficiently as they are right now? Definitely not. Because um, when they come to us, they're given to programs 
And we, you know, we do the audit to make sure that it's actually hitting conservation values, right? Has to be giving to, um, you know, education, you know, conservation education, conservation advocacy, the actual boots on the ground work, and then access, you know, to wildlife um, in a, in a conservation minded way. And we'll have members come on, let's say they're, they're back at the five backpack size, half their giving is to things that don't go to any of that. But, you know, they read the marketing piece that came in the mail and, you know, in good faith gave to that program. And then I come to them and I go, so guys, um, (laughs) got some bummer news for you. First off the good news, these programs you gave to, this is what it actually turned into this year. These programs you gave to, um, yeah, that's not what you thought it was. Yeah. Here are some good options. Um, and no, it's probably not a good use of your time to call in and yell at that organization because they're used to it and they actually might like it a little bit, kind of like tech support on South Park. Um, so we're going to need you to, you know, look at a few other things. And so we provide them a suite of options and now we're at a scale where, like I said, we have nearly 1800 organizations and their chapters that our members give to that we trust. And that's a lot. But what's real crazy is that's not even a drop in the bucket of what's out there. Um, For example, just Bozeman, Montana has over 1,100 nonprofits with tax IDs here. Wow. With their with their EIN number registered to a a Bozeman zip code, one of the, you know, multiple Bozeman zip codes. 1,100. Holy cow. Out of that, about half have to do with the environment, conservation, wildlife, something like that. So let's say 500 just to be conservative on it. So that's 500 nonprofits with tax IDs just here. Now, are they tax sheltering? Maybe a little bit, probably. That's why their IDs here and not, I don't know, New York or, you know, uh, Denver, you know, um, you know, major city where, where things are looked at a little bit more closely. I don't know if that's the case. I know that is the case for some of them because uh, we have to move our members away from giving to them because their dollars don't go where they say they go. Um, but that's just one town, right? Um, you look at, like I said, Denver, you look at Salt Lake, you look at Seattle, you look at Atlanta, you look at Asheville, Miami. Well, Florida in particular has an obscene amount of nonprofits with their uh, tax IDs out of there. So uh, because they don't regulate anything and don't, it's, it's bad. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> always, always double check. And I say that as someone who's, who sits on a board for an organization that has their tax ID out of Florida, double check on, on where they're actually giving. Yeah. Um, not because the organization, uh, it, the Goat Alliance tax IDs out of Florida. It was done. They did it that way originally when they set it up because it was easy. Uh, we just haven't moved it because as a board, like we're, we're going to be paying for, you know, outside audits and stuff like that to prove right. Uh, with the goat Alliance, but, um, always double check. Uh, if you see that you're the nonprofit you're supporting is based out of Texas or Florida in particular, cause they, they're allowed to move money around in those States in ways you probably wouldn't like. So anyway, that is a lot for, for a business to try to keep track of, right? Like even if, your business is a side hustle. Maybe, maybe especially if your business is a side hustle, like it is for many of our members where they're, you know, they're getting it started. It's their passion project. They want it to be the main thing that they do. Um, you definitely don't have time to go through and, Oh, let me look up the tax IDs like Jared told me to, you know? Uh, and so that's where we step in and we can help and we should help. 
right? We're certifying these dollars. We got to make sure that it's actually going to what we say it's going to when we certify these folks. And that is something that the capacity for 2% is directly tied to the amount of staff we have because it's ours. I mean, and we're talking when, when I'm doing a dive on a business, let's just say like a mid-sized business for their annual review or when they first go to sign on and they say where they're committing to give to, that's a day for me if, if I'm the one you know doing it. And, and typically I am the one doing it. That's, that's a day, right? Just for one business. So for the big ones, you know, the ones with grant programs, and this year we're going to be helping some of our business members that are now at a size, they need to have a grant program. They need to maybe start a foundation or something like that to protect their giving and, and just be a little better set up with the IRS and stuff. Um, you know, from a financial standpoint, it just makes more sense for them. For those folks, we're talking two or three days of my time on, on just the vetting and the confirming and, and all of that. And you look at how we're approaching the 200 business member mark, you can see a clear problem, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Not enough time. just, just in man hours. And, and this isn't something I can train chat, chat GPT to do. Um, I have trained it, you know, I've, 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 I'm not training it, but I have gotten chat GPT to help with quite a few things, uh, in other AI models and, and other, you know, online tools and then volunteers for different things. But like looking at business member financials, you have to be a employee of 2% with a five year non-disclosure agreement signed. That's, you know, that's extensive, right? Especially if you want to work in the outdoor industry or conservation space, signing a five-year NDA, that's a, that's a commitment. Yeah. So, you know, it's looking at 2023, how it fleshes out, our board is deciding right now. Um, we have some change, turnover in our board uh, just with, with term limits and stuff and, and whatnot that have, have gone on. So we have some fresh blood in there. Uh, people will be seeing announcements about that soon. Um and anyone who stepped down, it was for great reasons. There was nothing uh, like our founder, Jeff Spazito, he stepped down. Uh, why? He's got teenage daughters now and he worked his butt off for the last forever and wants to be able to spend more time with his teenage daughters while they're still at home. Makes total sense, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Another board member uh, stepped down, family reasons as well. Uh, another member, board member stepped down because uh, they wanted to... Uh, be replaced by someone who wasn't just a middle-aged white dude like them, and that's why he stepped down. Uh, that was Drew Youngdike out of out of Michigan. Oh, uh, true, he's the best. Yeah. Um, so naturally, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you'll see in the in the announcement who took his spot. <laughs> uh, and then and then another board member stepped down because she's chasing caribou on the island of Svalbard, where the sun's not going to come up till February. Um, it's still dark there. She's chasing them on foot and like with snowmobiles and, and with, with, uh, sled dogs and She's stuff. Still and out there. Cross... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And like extended her term and stuff. So, I mean, she's doing great work, but real hard to have a board call, you know, yeah. from the middle of nowhere on the Island of Svalbard, North of the Arctic circle where the sun doesn't come up until February. So, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've got some fresh blood in there coming from our business membership and, um, team members and stuff. And we are building out a new format for our partnerships with conservation groups. 
Um, we already have our community partner program, which is just a way for folks to find different conservation causes. And very shortly after launching it, I discovered just how much time it would take to manage it. Um, and it's more than I have, which is why that map is woefully short on all the pins it should have on it. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of people. Um, it's a lot of organizations, which leads to another thing, which is the turnover at conservation groups is at the highest rate it's ever been. Right now, average tenure for someone who works for a wildlife conservation group is less than two and a half years. Wow. It, yeah, it's 26 months is the average amount of time someone will work for one conservation group before hopping to another or leaving the conservation world entirely. Um, and that speaks to a bunch of different things. Burnout is the number one. Um, lack of pay is number two, because you get into this, you're not looking to make money, right? typically, unless you're, you know, one of those guys who got into a legacy organization that'll pay you, you know, $250,000 a year to fly around and eat caviar. It exists. <laughs> um, and odds are they have a banquet in your area and the money never stays in your area. Uh, I don't even have to name the organizations for folks to know who I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, most folks who get into wildlife conservation, though, don't work for the ones that have these massive, mar massive marketing budgets. One of the crazy things I learned that I, again, I don't come from the conservation world initially. So I don't, you know, I didn't grow up in it like many of my colleagues. Most of the folks who have stayed, who are not jumping ship after five years, odds are they were born into that career. Um, odds are their parents did this for work. So for them, it's a, you know, it's, it's tied to identity. Um, most of my colleagues who have, you know, been in their position for five years or more, they were born into it and they're not burned out. Um, but they knew about groups I didn't know about, which are these dozens and dozens and dozens of small regional water keepers and little land trusts and little, um, you know, I knew about the rod and gun clubs, but I didn't know about, you know, the bird banding groups that weren't necessarily Audubon affiliated or um, all these folks who go and do extra, you know, plantings every year that are, you know, they're, they're listed as a garden club. But what they do is they rebuild habitat. And through our membership and through networks of folks, I'm finding out there's like 100,000 of these just in the U.S. And they are dramatically underfunded. They are probably in your backyard. And for our members, that's a big deal. Um, we're not going to try to be everything for everyone. I don't want to basically be, you know, Google for conservation groups because right. that's not as effective. We got to be more targeted. So our community partner program was kind of second stages of that. Um, you recall we had our committee program where it was in our early years when we had like a dozen business members where these were like titled volunteers at different organizations. Like they were a chapter chair, um, maybe a national board member or something like that for a conservation group that we could connect interested donors and, and uh, businesses with for time and dollar donations to their groups. That was stage one. Stage two was our community partner program, which launched in uh, 2021, uh, October, 2021. Um, and that was, you know, a directory on the website and that's not going away to be clear. That is not going away. Um, but stage three is where we staff around it. 
and where we will have someone on our team dedicated to connecting people to causes because it is frankly too much for someone to split their time from that one task. Knowing the landscape of the conservation world just in the U.S. alone is a full-time job. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a second job that I have basically right now um, on top of the certifications and stuff. But also, you know, keeping up with who is the donations person at XYZ Org? Who is the marketing person at XYZ Org? Even for the big name ones that people know, the turnover rate for employees at those places is, like I said, 26 months. So who our members contact when they want to give to, a lot of times those emails bounce back to them now. So having someone in the middle to make sure that just moves and happens and is effective and that the dollars our members give actually go to what they think it goes to is where we are really going to make a big impact in 2023. How that fleshes out, like I said, our board is deciding right now. Um, there's a, a range of options from, oh, hey, it's just another person on the team to something a bit more dramatic. And when that's decided by the board, um, you will be one of the first to know <laughs> and uh, for sure. And we'll, we might need to do an episode around it uh, probably around the fall next year um, when that program fleshes out. But I can tell you that it is a billion dollar problem in the U S uh, and no one's touching it. Yeah. So, like a conservation We're, broker of sorts. Someone that yeah, can, yeah, a middleman that that's free. right. <laughs> but for free. Yeah, exactly. Crazy, exactly. Right. Yeah. They're not taking um, a percentage or a, a cut of the donation. We ain't taking a cut. There are groups that do that, that take mm -hmm. a cut. Uh, there's actually dozens of groups that do that. Like, hey, we'll connect you with a cause. Here's our fee. Um, yeah. There are I, dozens of groups that do that. And that just doesn't probably seem know right. their name. Yeah, I mean, you got to operate, right? You do. You, you, you do. You, you do have to operate. And you can, there's a couple ways you can go about getting that money. Um, in our case, you know the 2% funding model. It's, mm -hmm. our, it's our member dues, which are nominal, discounted. You know, uh, we have maybe half of our members not paying dues this year because of our referral program. Um, you know, our budget is actually good. You know, we're sitting solid for 2023, again, which I'm proud of. But, um, starting a new program, it's the money is not going to come from our certification. Um, same with the staffing, you know, for staffing this, we're not going to take money from the certification to staff this because people who are not getting certified will be using this service. They, they, I mean, we know that from our website already. Um, we know, you know, we can track IP addresses and stuff like that. And I know that there are some big outdoor brands that use our directory already that are not certified with us. <laughs> so, um, and they sign up for the email updates. Of course they do. Like, like we don't look at those, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like you don't um, know what your mailing we, list looks like. <laughs> yeah. So like we know, and you know what? I'm okay with it. Um, cause again, we have a mission statement, right? Mm -hmm. And that mission statement isn't certify everybody. It's to have this alliance of businesses and individuals, you know, doing this conservation work. So, um, we're just going to make it easier for them to steal from the from the corner shop. Uh, will be the Seven Eleven, I guess. 
and we'll let them, you know, the, 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 the rich kids come in and steal the candy bars. Uh, but you know, the work's being done and that's, that's what matters. And so that's the big thing for 2023. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm being nebulous about some of it, but I've learned, um, you know, not to give the whole bag away. Uh, cause someone will always, there's always someone trying to, uh, who in the pudding, so to speak. So, yeah, well, no, that, I mean, it's all right because it, we talked about it before, we you know, before we started recording, when we were catching up there. It's like, I, you know, I, I want to know kind of what's to come, but I know that you can't give all the details for everything because, you know, what you say now, two months from now, as you guys are really trying to flesh this out and roll the program out, like things could change. Something could, something could look yeah. different than what. Oh, the world can change dramatically. Exactly. I mean, so I don't want to. Back in. February of last year, I was just looking back when we did record, we, we, we started recording a week before, uh, or we, the last time I was on the podcast was a week before Russia invaded Ukraine. And what we were looking at as far as European programs at that point, wildly different. I mean, absolutely. It would be crazy talk to try to, you know, do what I was considering doing, you know, and what we as an organization were trying to do in Europe at the time. Yeah. Um, right now because it's changed the landscape so much. So yeah, that's, I, I appreciate the, uh, flexibility and bandwidth <laughs> for that. Um, one cool thing I'd love to put on members radars and it's starting right now. Um, and this goes to non-members too. Um, you're going to start seeing this. You've seen a little bit on our social media trickling over the last year, but it's one of those things where somehow we got positioned for a once in a generation situation, um, that anyone can engage in, anyone can help, anyone can like be a part of the solution and, and the solution will work. So it's again, crazy. It's, crazy talk. Uh, that never happens. Uh, especially with intergeneration, like, 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 like the saying I was, I was just at the Montana outdoor, uh, hall of fame induction because I volunteer with their review committee. And one of the inductees said, uh, if your work is done before, uh, the end of your life, you weren't dreaming big enough. Um, I like that. So I this, like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this isn't, this isn't one of those things where people aren't dreaming big enough. It's just the, the need is so fast and so right now, um, and the solution is right now too. So, uh, folks might remember back in 2019, Christmas of 2019, um, there was the southernmost herd of caribou in, in, uh, the world. Uh, they were in British Columbia and they were going to be extirpated if they didn't get, you know, money like within a week to helicopter in all these materials and stuff for them to be able to give birth in like a, in, in a safe environment away from snowmobilers, wolves, cats, things like that. And our members raised the money in like three days. And, you know, it was this, you know, save Santa's reindeer kind of, you know, thing that we had going on. Um, that was the first time, you know, we saw the power of what our membership could do to a pressing need. Something that if you did it, the odds of something really amazing happening because you did it were, were fantastic but the guarantee of you not doing anything was catastrophic right and we tried not to be hyperbolic about it when communicating that to folks but members stepped up um and stepped up in a big big way 
bunch of individual families, a couple businesses like Stone Glacier and Sitka and a few others. Again, this is 2019. So we had, I think, 30, 40 businesses at the time. Not a whole lot of folks. And it was like a Christmas, right? So the timing was awful. Um, but it happened. Um, and we've seen this now with like the migration project in southwest Montana, where the, the largest, the, the biggest scale migration project in Montana history uh, for rehabilitating um, migration corridors um, is really being spearheaded by 2% businesses. But that was put under a time crunch in 2020 uh, for raising money for that. This is similar, this this new thing. And so this this came on my radar towards the end of 2020. Um, I was reached out to on social media by a guy named Kudu, which is a cool name, uh, to be sure. It's one you won't forget, <laughs> that's for sure. Right. Uh, especially if you know what, what a kudu is, it's, it's, it's this, this awesome African beast. Uh, that's also what this guy happens to be. He is, a, a, a uh, from South Africa and he reaches out on Instagram. Hey, I'm doing some stuff with pangolins. Uh, I'm not sure if you're the right organization for this. I'd love to tell you what it's about. Here's a YouTube video from some people who were touring and ran into me while I was out in the field. If you want to learn a little bit about me, because I don't have a website. I was like, okay, what, what am I dealing? You know, is this you know Nigerian prince thing that we're dealing with, or <laughs> you know what what is? It? But he's got a cool name. And then you look at his social media, and it's just like field work, just like epic field work with penguins. I'm like, okay. So I was like, all right, I, what, yeah, let's let's connect. And you know this because because you're on Skype, but like outside the U.S., people don't use Zoom. Not that much. They don't. They don't use Google Meet. Um, if you're going to talk, especially to like a wildlife professional, they use Skype. And he reaches out and he goes, and this is 2020 peak Zoom, right? Peak Google Meet. And he goes, all right. Well, here's my Skype account. I'm like, all right. He is actually a field biologist. Okay. Um, <laughs> he passed the test. So, yeah, we get on this call and like the connection's just real bad and you know time difference. He's in South Africa. It's you know, like middle of the night for him. It's morning here. And he's, his accent is super thick. That's when I find out he's Afrikaans, uh, which is a, a, like a different kind of, it's, it's a white people group in South Africa. There's the politics are South Africa. Politics are messy. They get messier the more you granulize them and, or, or granulate them. And so Kudu's not like that. Like his focus is wildlife and specifically pangolins. And he starts telling me with this thick South African accent about how there has been this epic, epic, horrible surge in wildlife trade um, since China's, uh, you know, the, the roads initiative has, has come through. As some listeners are probably familiar, um, China's got this big program where they're trying to be basically the funders of the rebuilding of Africa. Um, and how they're going about it is not great. Um, there's a bunch of nasty stuff going on, both politically, uh, but especially ecologically and sociologically. Uh, pitting local people against their local ecosystems and stuff uh, using money and the poverty situation and, you know, the basically what 
Europeans left behind um, uh, uh, from the massive, massive mess uh, that multiple countries have have had a part in playing over there. So and continue to have a part in playing. So Kudus focuses on pangolins. And pangolins in 2020 were something people were starting to hear about who had never heard about them before. Because one of the leading theories at the time was maybe pangolins were where COVID started, uh, COVID-19, because of the wildlife. Um, In in China, they have basically wildlife markets. Because their people were starving in these rural areas where they couldn't grow enough food, they let them put wildlife in markets. And we're not talking like – a supermarket. We're talking like size of a small town and cages of animals mm-hmm. and often bred in captivity, not there at the market, but right nearby, which is anyone who knows anything about wildlife breeding, disease, 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 disease. Yeah. Um, so you can see why maybe it was like on people's radar, uh, especially because because pangolin are one of the species that can transfer with bats and bats, one of the species that can transfer with humans. All these different things. Um, I remember seeing a pangolin when I was a kid in like some National Geographic thing. It, if you've never seen one, they look kind of like a dinosaur. They've got these big ass scales made out of lanolin. You know what your fingernails are made out of. Um, and they've they've been their their native range with the different subspecies is all the way from South Africa to the Southeast Pacific. You know the South Pacific. Um, all the way through China and some suggest even up possibly into Mongolia at one point. Uh, so a huge range, right? This is a, an animal that the bulk of civilization has been around forever. Um, you know, humans, we've been around pangolins forever, um, in Africa and in the middle East and Asia, you know, um, and pangolins have been around humans forever. Um, but most of us in the West, we don't we don't know about them because they they ain't from here, right? right. <laughs> uh, just like you know armadillos, they're not really what we have there. Anyway, these they look like dinosaurs. Um, they have like no teeth. Um, they they're kind of like an ant eater that way. They have a long tongue, goes in, gets ants and termites and stuff like that. Um, but in particularly China their scales are seen as an aphrodisiac. Again, their scales are made out of fingernail material. You know, what your fingernails, what your hair are made out of. Um, But in traditional medicines, it's seen as, you know, basically uh, the the magical pill for the middle-aged man. And very expensive. They have been extirpated from Southeast Asia, essentially, from poaching. Um, uh, the different spe- subspecies of them at different sizes, they've, they've been wiped out uh, because of that wildlife trade. And most of it legal, like totally legal because people in the government want access to it too. Um, so pretty much gone from there. So then where do they start going to get it? Africa. Well, what do they happen to have going on right now? their roads initiative, their development initiative. They have people there. They have people in contact with locals in far-flung parts of the countries that they are operating in. 
And in South Africa, they actually have the giant pangolin. And by giant, I mean it is big. Um, they are they, they could be like six feet long, you know, from tail to, to nose or, oh, or, wow. or longer. Yeah, it's really yeah. That is big. And big scales, right? They look imposing. But here's the crazy thing. They're not actually that scared of people. There are some people who have the- some some uh, anthropologists who actually have theories of um, semi-domestication uh, and and symbiosis between the pangolins keeping the ants and the termites away from villages, and you know humans getting to live without ants and termites, uh, you know, and 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 bees nests underground and stuff because the pangolins just go after them, right? They actually don't really like they're kind of scared of people but not super scared of people. Um, and their defense mechanism is to roll up in a ball, which makes them actually really easy to carry away or to put into a bag and carry away. And that's what's been happening. And it's been happening at an insane scale, uh, bigger than the rhino poaching, bigger than, 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 than most of the other poaching that's going on in, in Africa. And, they sell so like a dead one will sell for a hundred thousand dollars us wow think about that in a country where the us dollar like a dollar is like a week's wages in some places yeah or where you need meds for your mom now you have a government that is affiliated with this trade for this species the illegal trade, illegal international trade, plus is shipping stuff back and forth all the time as they build the roads, build the condos, build the new infrastructure across multiple countries. They show up in South Africa and someone says, you know, if you can find us a pangolin or, you know, and this species, and it's not just pangolins, but, you know, here's what we'll give you. And if it's alive, we'll give you even more. And now you've got a serious problem on your hands. Because you have people who are starving. You have a country that is under dramatic unrest because of apartheid that continues on. Um, you know, the billionaires that would have normally been made to stay after something like that comes down got to leave. And, you know, they're investing in all of our tech companies now and stuff like that. But they got to leave and they took all that wealth from South Africa with them. So you have that going on. You have, you have the entire black market trade network pre-built for you, essentially, once you can get it out of the country. And, and to get it out of the country, you just need to connect with people from, again, Chinese, they're, they're Chinese government-backed that you're connecting with. Um, this is similar to what was happening in Africa with U.S., Great Britain, with some of the other wildlife extirpations that were going on that Theodore Roosevelt started to see and was like, oh, my God, we're, we're, we're screwing up. <laughs> Guys, we got to stop. Um, you know, he was a part of it. And then he went back again and was like, oh, no. Um, so that's happening right now to penguins. And Kudu is working on saving them, essentially. And it sounds like a battle you're not going to win, right? However, they are making wins, and they're making wins that have never been never been made before. Um, in early t- or late 2020, um, 
he did the first successful re-release of a penguin that had been recaptured from the black market trade. So she had been captured by someone, taken to a black market, and someone working with you know in with Kudu and the folks he got in the middle at some point, and I, I gotta speak nebulously about these things, but got in the middle at some point and got that pangolin back. And that pangolin had been in the wild, but for several months had been in a cage. And again, they associate with people real easily. They domesticate very fast. It's not like a fox where you take a fox from the wild and it won't domesticate. You can take a pangolin and they will get used to people to the point that you can't re-release them. They would catch them. They've been catching them for the last 20 years from the black markets and trying to re-release them back into the wild and they die. So Kudu developed a method to re-release them and it involves a rehabilitation center that he's working with where because pangolins live in caves, they don't live in like pens, like big wide open pens. They can actually store them in places you would not expect a rehabilitation center to be because they just need to be underground. And then they can take them out when they do go out. It's at night and it's in a limited area. Um, and so the rehabilitation center can be where the bad guys wouldn't expect. And that's important because the bad guys have killed people at these centers. Um, they will come murder everyone in the building and steal the pangolins for several hundred thousand dollars. And it happens enough that like it's a serious concern. So they've, they hide where these centers are. Um, so Kudu's been working with those places to, you know, they get these, these pangolins back up to fighting health to where they can be reintroduced back into the wild. Then they go deep in the bush and he starts his rehabilitation program for him, which essentially means taking these pangolin on walks, which doesn't sound like what you would like, <laughs> Hey, we're going to re-release a grizzly. You're going to take it for a walk. Nope. <laughs> You know, you're going to re-release a bighorn sheep. Do you take it for a walk? I'm not taking that for a walk. <laughs> um, you, you, it runs away, right? Well, with pangolins, you have to ease them off. You have to basically wean them off of the presence of people, which, again, speaks to an old symbiotic relationship that might, you know, might have been there. Um, and there's probably – Kudu might listen to this and go, Jared, you are so far off. Just please shut up and tell us <laughs> – tell them to bring help. Um um, I, if I'm if I'm inaccurate, I, I want to make it clear. Like these are based off research I've been able to find, but in going into 2023, you're going to see a lot of stuff because we had a business member go over there, uh, Chelsea Anderson. She is a traveling veterinarian, yes, uh, who specializes in wildlife veterinarian stuff, and she went to South Africa a couple months ago. And like there was the whole like go to the secret location, like had to be very careful with where she posted anything. Right now, as she's sending us pictures, she has to clean them, and that that refers to removing all metadata from the pictures in case someone from Chinese government's you know watching on your device, which is you don't have to have TikTok to have that happen. They're watching what you do on Facebook and Instagram. They can pull from that too. So. Um, you know, and, and even from other apps that you might have, or even your device device in general, they can get on there. So, um, not to mention they own the infrastructure in South Africa. So, you know, you go and post a video or a picture 
uh, they get all the meta stuff because they own the infrastructure. Uh, just like what's been done here in the States and what, you know, different guys have been caught doing illegal things using, you know, different people in our government, you know, there's bad guys everywhere, essentially. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> um, like it. Yeah. So she had to be very careful. So she couldn't send pictures while she was over there. Uh, she made sure to like post pictures of like, Hey, look, it's a lion, you know, and Hey, look, it's a giraffe. <laughs> and then she got home and she's like, Jared, come over right now for beers. I need to show you some things. And so I went over there and she's now engaged to another one of our business members, uh, Andy Austin. I saw they that. knew each other before they got certified. We are not a matchmaking service. <laughs> don't don't get the wrong idea. The dating world sucks out there right now and 2% cannot help you with it. These folks already knew each other. Disclaimer. But, yeah. Um, I go over there and she was like, we need to look at these like before we have too many beers because it's going to be rough. And she starts pulling up pictures. And I'm not going to spoil what they are because we're, we're, we're going to be sharing them. But y- y- you want to, you know, make a guy who works in conservation uh, look like he just chopped a bunch of onions. Uh, that was the way. Um, so she starts telling about, you know, all the people who have died trying to save these penguins. And she didn't have half the story. She's like, they didn't want to talk about it that much because these were like friends, you know. Um, she starts sharing about all the security they had to go through. Um, but then she's got these pictures of like the guys working at the shelters and stuff and the gals in there, the pangolins like snuggle you, like you pick them up and carry them around and they like hug you back. Like it is different. Right. Um, and I was like, well, what do they need? She's like, well, they need $25,000. I'm like, say what? (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> I, that's it <laughs> and yeah that's it like at this stage they need 25 grand to re uh to basically add a bunch of new bays to this rehabilitation center that is a, totally does not look like one from the outside um they are having to black market or, or not black market but like bootleg um conservation because not even their own government will protect them from you know, hit folks coming right. to come and kill them all and take, take the pangolins. So they need five more bay. Uh, they need 25 grand to build five more bays. And so she started to go fund me cause she couldn't wait any longer. I was like, let's, let's do like a, a funding campaign. We'll run it through this and this. She's like, I'm just doing it. Um, so she's got that started. However, one thing we're going to be working on, and this is outside of what 2% normally does, but we're just, we're positioned for it with our membership we are going to work with our members to develop a consistent funding mechanism for this work. Okay. They do not have enough political stability in their country right now to have a consistent funding mechanism that is dependable just this moment. Um, There's a few things we're working on that they will be able to operate out of there so that they're totally on their own. But to start, we will be working with some of our business members and we'll be releasing info about this this month, uh, pretty heavily in the second half of the month is when you're going to start seeing a bunch of stuff this January um, about this, how folks can get involved in this, how you can save. I mean, they're the last of the giant pangolins and you have essentially two countries gunning for them and like they do not care if they wipe them out. It, there's 
because they they'll like up in China, they've already taken so many over there. They'll just breed them there in these wildlife pens and diseased or not, you know, they'll throw, they'll throw biologists and chemists and pharma, uh, pharmacists and whatnot at trying to keep them alive. But as far as in the wild, they will be gone in our generation if this isn't stopped. However, the method to at least keep them alive and out in the wild exists so we can stop the bleeding now. And the cost is tiny. Minimal. Compared to what? Yeah. I mean, how much to save a species? 25 grand, you know, for this project right now. And then, you know, obviously hundreds of thousands over the next 15 years. Um, But for now, you know, and once once China's done with their development program over there, the countries are going to take everything back. And then it's not going to be as big of a concern. So this is the situation. Somehow 2%, we got involved in it. Kudu found us on social media. Um, we've posted some of his stuff, you know, over the last couple, uh, the last year or so, you know, um, just along the way while we've been trying to get Chelsea down there or another business member to go in and get, you know, images we can use and stuff and post without putting people at risk and, and putting, you know, more wildlife at risk, but especially the people, you know, who are risking their lives to save these guys. Um, and it's something anyone can help with anyone from anywhere. And, and like a dollar, like I said, goes way further there than it does where you're used to. Yeah. Um, and to not make this like a, you know, save the three legged dog video of one macchiato a day and you could save the, it is kind of like that. Um, I'll be sure to cue in know. some Sarah McLaughlin music during this episode at the yeah, end here. You got to get the Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> and again, it, but, it, but like I said, uh, <laughs> You, you want to make a, a guy like me get, you know, a, a little emotional seeing what Chelsea saw secondhand and even what what Kudu's sent over the last year and a half. Like there is this immense opportunity to do some incredible good and for very little. So look for that um, in 2023. Um, and also, you know, for our business members, we're going to be contacting you directly um, as opportunities like if your business makes sense for this yeah <laughs> you know to have a product go for it some of our business members having a product that specifically funds this makes sense others you know doesn't so um you know we'll be contacting the right ones um but there's no reason why we can't fix this and the opportunity arose it's right now and there is a positive future if we do it there's a guaranteed failure if we don't so we got to do it yeah. And and yeah, I'm stoked to have folks partner in it. Yeah, no, that feels like a that 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 kind of call to arms, call to action. Uh it feels like a good place to to kind of end this by my kids were already knocking on the door about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> Where's dad? Where's dad? Um uh, but no, I think that's a great place for us to to kind of wrap things up um and give people something to to kind of look forward to in the coming weeks here as as you guys release more information. And like you just said, you know, 25 grand um, for a project like this to to really start to spearhead things, to get it up off the ground and to, you know, save an entire species, um, you know, as as part of the two percent community. Uh, I know that that's something that we can we can come up with and, and we can likely come up with it very quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jared, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I always enjoy catching up. I never set aside enough time for us. Um, 
we're going to have to just like catch up on like a monthly basis. So we don't spend like the first 45 minutes not (laughs) recording of just kind of, you know, just seeing what's going on with each other. Uh, but no, thank you again for, for coming on. Uh, this is a great episode to kind of kick off 2023. And, uh, I look forward to seeing all the different things that, uh, 2% 2% has coming down the uh, down the pike here for the rest of the year. Yeah, thanks for having having me on again. And, you know, thanks for your commitment to this. Um, I am stoked to see, you know, where the podcast goes this this next year. And, you know, the, the stuff that you are sharing is not typical, right? Like you're you're putting into people's minds and, and hearts the kind of stuff that it, those of us who work in this full time, we wish everyone got to hear. And so we're just stoked to have you as a partner moving forward too. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been my pleasure to this point. And I certainly continue to look forward to, you know, what the future holds and, you know, new businesses, new individual members, all that good stuff. Or if there's, you know, specific projects that are very time sensitive, getting someone on from, from that project to talk about it and spread awareness, Um, I mean, that's, that's what this podcast is for. And it's certainly been one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about, uh, over the past two and a half years. So thank you. Awesome. All right, Jerry, we'll take care of yourself and we'll talk soon. Okay. All righty. All right. Take take care care of those kids. Yeah, we'll do. All right. All right. Well, thank you again to Jared for taking some time to uh, hop on the podcast with me and kick things off in the new year here. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, of course, Outdoor Class, and as always, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only uh, positive conservation driven content landing in your feed. So uh, certainly brighten up your day. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, be sure to check out theaverageconservationist.com. Pick up some gear there. Uh, I got some new stuff coming out this uh, early this year. I know I keep saying that, but things keep getting pushed back and I keep dropping the ball. But I assure you, if you want to pick up something that's out there, now's a great time to grab it and then uh, look for some new stuff in the future. So as always, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you. you.